Chapter Eleven of People Like That. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. People Like That by Kate Langley Bosher. Chapter Eleven. A sickness which Jimmy could not understand was indeed upon me, and unsteadily I leaned against the window frame, looking at but not seeing him and not until he spoke again did i remember i was not alone is it very bad you look as if it hurt so wait a minute i'll get you some water i caught him as he started to run down the hall and drew him back i don't want any water i'm not sick my head went up the smell of paste would make me ill if i stayed however and i'm not going to stay today I'll come some other time. Run on and join the other boys. Tell your mother. I seemed groping for words. Tell your mother I will see her before you start to school. Run on, Jimmy, and thank Mr. Pritchard for lending you to me. And laugh as much as you want to, Jimmy. Laugh all you can before... You can't. Over the banister the child was leaning anxiously, watching me as I stumbled down the steps. At their foot I turned and waved my hand and laughed, an odd, faint, faraway laugh that seemed to come from someone else, and then I went into the street and found myself crossing it, impelled by surging impulse to know. To know what? At the foot of the rickety stairs leading to the high porch from which I had seen the girl come, I stopped. All I had been repressing, fighting, resisting for days past, had in a moment yielded to horror, and hurt that seemed past healing, and I was surrendering to what I should know was impossible. I must be mad. With a shudder that was half a sob, I turned away and walked down the street and into the one which would lead to Scarborough Square. As I walked, my shoulders straightened. What was the matter with me? Was I becoming that which I loathed? a suspicious, spying person. I was insulting Selwyn. He knew I hated mystery, however, knew the right of explanation was mine, knew that I expected of any man who was my friend that his life should be as open as my life. If I had hurt him, angered him by my question when I last saw him, he had hurt, had angered me far more. For now I was angry. Did he imagine I was the sort of woman who accepted reticence without resignation? I was not. At the corner, Mr. Fogg was standing in the door of his little shop, holding a blue bottle up to the light and examining it with critical care. He had on his usual clothes of many colors, shabby from much wearing, but in his round, clean-shaven face, pink with health and inward cheer, with smiling serenity, and in his eyes a twinkle that yielded not to time or circumstance. His second-hand bookshelf, his canary birds and white rabbits, his fox terriers and goldfish, are friends that never fail, and in them he has found content. His eagerness to chat occasionally with someone who cares, as he cares, for his beloved books is not at times to be resisted, but I was in no mood to talk today. I wondered if I could hurry by. Good morning! The blue bottle, half filled with water, in which a tiny bulb was floating, was waved toward me, and a shaggy white head nodded at me. "'It's a fine day, ain't it? A fine day for snow. Good and grey. I think we'll have some flakes before night.' 
Kinder feel like a boy again when it's snowing. I don't know yet which season I like best. Everyone has got its glory. What you been up to today? Seeing some more things? I nodded. I wish I could come in, but I can't. I shivered, though I was not cold. I'm going uptown. A minute before I had no intention of going uptown, but to go indoors was suddenly impossible. Whatever was possessing me must be fought off alone. I will bring you my copy of Men and Nations tomorrow. Keep it as long as you wish. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Hearty. I'll take good care of it. I suppose you haven't heard of the widow Rob? Her name's Patty, you know, and she's got a beau. He's named Cake. Luck plays tricks with love, don't it? Don't get caught in a snowstorm. You ain't... His voice was anxious. You ain't thinking of leaving us, are you? The girls down here are needing of you, needing sore. All of us are needing of you. I shook my head. Of course I'm not thinking of leaving you. I waved my hand in response to his wave of the bottle, and, not seeing where I went, I turned the corner, and, head bent to keep out of my face the tiny particles of sleet and snow beginning to fall, walked for some distance before noticing where I was. Much of my city, unknown to me a short while ago, was now familiar, but to much I was still a stranger, and presently I was wondering concerning the occupants of the houses I was passing. The shabby gentility and dull respectability of the latter was depressing, and to escape the radiation of their dreariness I turned into first one street and then another, and as I walked the girl with the boyish face walked with me, the face with its hunted fear. She had held the baby as if frightened, and when she turned the corner she was running. She was so young. Could the baby be hers? It must be hers. Nothing but a mother face could have in it what hers had. Why was she afraid, and of what? The streets were becoming rough and unpaved before I noticed I was nearing the city limits, and, cutting across a field, I got into the avenue, toward the end of which was Selwyn's house. As I neared it, my steps slowed. For years the Thorn property had been on the outskirts of the city, but progress had taken it in, and already houses, flagrantly modern and architecturally shameless, offered strong contrast to its perfect lines, its conscious dignity, its calm aloofness, and its stone walls which shielded it from gaping gaze and gave it privacy. The iron gates were closed, the shutters drawn, and from the place stillness that was oppressive radiated, a stillness that was ominous. Pride was undoubtedly Selwyn's dominating characteristic. Pride in his name, in its unstained honour, in the heritage of his father's. And in the presence of his house it seemed an ugly dream, the picture ever in my mind, the picture of Selwyn walking slowly with a young girl in the dark of a winter afternoon in a section of the city as removed from his as sunlight is removed from shadow. In his nature was nothing that could make such association imaginable. If no higher deterrent prevented, pride would protect him from doubtful situations. He was sensitive to higher deterrents, however, as sensitive as I. Passing the gates on the stone columns of which the quaint, old-fashioned lamps of former days were still nightly lighted, I glanced through them at the snow-covered lawn and the square-built, lonely house, occupied now only by Selwyn and his younger brother Harry, 
then again hurried on the avenue with its great width and unbroken length its crystal-coated trees and handsome houses was now deserted save for hurrying limousines and an occasional pedestrian and safe in the fierceness of the snow from encounter with old friends i decided to walk home through the section of the city which was the only part i once knew well and just as i decided i knocked into some one turning a corner as i approached it oh miss heath the woman drew back the snow was so thick i didn't see you did i hurt you not a bit i wiped my face damp with melted flakes which had brushed it what are you doing up here you look as frozen as i feel have you got on overshoes the woman shook her head i haven't got any i wouldn't have come out but i had to bring some work back to mrs lemoyne if she'd paid me i'd have bought a pair of rubbers but she didn't pay me she said she'd let me have the money next week next week you need it this minute how much does she owe you four seventy-five for these last things and four twenty-five for those i made last week i don't know what i'm going to do the woman's hands cold and stiff twisted nervously i don't reckon she's ever had to think about rent or food or fuel or overshoes people like that don't have to i wish they did sometimes so do i come on it's too cold to stop we'll go down to benson's and get something hot to warm us up i forgot about lunch turn your coat collar up the snow is getting down your neck and take my muff i've got pockets and you haven't as we started off a large limousine with violets in the glass vases of its interior upholstered in fawn-coloured cloth stopped just ahead of us and a woman i did not know got out of it followed by one i knew well fur coats entirely covered their dresses and quickly the chauffeur opened an umbrella to protect their hats as we passed i started to speak to alice herbert but turning her head she gave me not even a blink of recognition at first i did not understand then i laughed who is that mrs beck's voice was odd ain't they grand do you know them no i put my hands in the pockets of my long coat i used to know one of them the feeble-minded one we'd better go over to high street and take a car to benson's the storm's getting worse we'll have to hurry the street lamps were being lighted as we reached Scarborough Square, and at sight of the house in the doorway of which Mrs. Mundy was standing, I hurried, impelled by impulse beyond defining. Mrs. Beck had left me at the corner, and as Mrs. Mundy closed the door behind me, she followed me up the steps. "'I'd been that worried about you I couldn't sit still long at a time, and Bettina's been up three times to see that your fire was burning all right. I knew you didn't have your umbrella or overshoes.' It's a wonder you ain't froze stiff. I'll bring your tea right up. I've had tea, thank you. I held out first one foot, and then the other to the blazing coals, and from the soles of my shoes came curling steam. It's a wonderful storm. I'd like to walk ten miles in it. I don't know why you were worried. I'm all right. I know you are, but... She poked the fire. But I wish you wouldn't go so hard. For near two weeks you haven't stopped a minute. You can't stand going like that. I wish I had known where to find you. Mr. Thorne was here this afternoon. 
He was very anxious to see you. Mr. Who? I turned sharply, then put my hands behind me to hide their sudden twisting. I was cold and tired, and the only human being in all the world I wanted to see was Selwyn. It was intolerable, this tormenting something that was separating us. When was he here? I asked, and leaned against the mantel. He came about three, but he waited half an hour. He didn't say much, but he was powerful put out about your not being home. He couldn't wait any longer, as he had to catch a train. The 4.30, I think. Where was he going? I sat down in the big wing chair, and the fingers of my hands interlaced. Did he say where he was going? He didn't mention the place, just said he had to go away and might be gone some time. He'll write, I reckon. He was awful disappointed at not seeing you. He asked me. Mrs. Mundy, on her knees, unbuttoned my shoes and drew them off. Your feet are near about frozen, and no wonder. Your stockings are wet clean through, and I'm letting you sit here in them when I promised him I'd see you didn't kill yourself doing these very things. You just put your feet on the fender while I get some dry clothes. He says to me, says he, Mrs. Mundy, the one human being she gives no thought to is herself, and will you please take care of her? She don't understand. Oh, I do understand. My voice was wearily protesting. The one thing men don't want women to do is to understand. They want us to be sweet and pretty and not understand. Selwyn talks as if I were a child. I'm perfectly able to take care of myself. Maybe you are, but you don't do it. Leastways, not always. I promised him I wouldn't let you wear yourself out, and I promised him. What? That I wouldn't let you go too far. He says you have lost your patience with people, especially women who think it's not their business to bother with things that that aren't nice, and you are apt to go to the other extreme and forget how people talk. About some things they don't talk enough. Did he leave any message for me? Again Mrs. Mundy shook her head. I think he wanted to talk to you about something he couldn't send messages about. End of chapter 11